Good day and welcome to another edition of Crossfade Bible Ministries Bible Studies. Hope everyone had a wonderful and blessed week. Today we'll be covering Matthew 26 verses 57 through 68. And the title of today's lesson is Jesus Goes Before the Sanhedrin. Now, this week's study, we're going to look at the trial of Jesus. And if you remember going back last week, <clears throat> Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he was praying. As often as Jesus did, he spent time with the Father. And he was praying, but he also he was warning his disciples and telling his disciples that they need to be alert. They need to keep watch. What Jesus was basically telling his disciples is that they also need to be in prayer, in constant prayer. Why, you say? So, the things that are about to happen, because Jesus knows what's about to happen. Jesus knows that he's going to be betrayed. Jesus knows that he's going to be arrested, that he's going to be flogged and beaten, and he's going to be put to death. But on the third day, he's going to rise again. The Father's going to, going to raise him up. Jesus knows this, and Jesus is telling his disciples, you need to be on alert, you need to pray, you need to be watchful. So your faith will be strong when all these things happen. And it's a message to us that we need to be in constant prayer, that we need to be close to the Father so we won't be deceived, so, so we won't be tempted, so to speak. So when bad things happen or the world comes against us and negative things happen, that we know that God the Father through Jesus and that relationship that you have with Him, that, that we can rely on Him. Because if you rely on Him, if you're a true believer, then all things work to those who believe. That's what the Bible teaches. Amen? So we see that he's in the garden and he's praying and he's telling his disciples. But we also know this, that at the Last Supper, he tells his disciples, one of you that's sitting here at the table with me, dipping your hand in the tray with me will betray me. Now, this is a lesson for all of us because Jesus knows that is Judas, but Jesus never calls out that is Judas. And Jesus treated Judas the same way he treated the rest of his disciples. Because when Jesus says that, his disciples look at each other and they're wondering, surely it's not me, they say. It can't, it can't be me. It's not me. Which is another lesson that Jesus is trying to teach us. That no matter who comes against you, that we need to forgive. Maybe someone gossip about you. Maybe someone's done you wrong in the past. But, but Jesus is telling us here and showing us that we need to show mercy, compassion, and forgiveness. Because Jesus knows that it's Judas, but Jesus didn't treat Judas no different than he treated the rest of his disciples. And we know that he's in the garden, going back to the garden. And we know that Judas comes with the religious leaders, and probably with Roman soldiers. Because he tells them, the man I go and kiss, meaning he's going to Jesus and kiss, he's going to greet him with a kiss. That's Jesus of Nazareth. That's the man that needs to be arrested. And we know that Jesus gets arrested. And that's how we ended last week's lesson. And we know the disciples scatter. Now, Jesus is arrested, and Jesus is going to go in front the Sanhedrin. Now, the word Sanhedrin means consul. In other words, it was the Jewish leadership 
both spiritually and governmentally, that was opposed to Jesus, we can say. See, they served under the Roman government. And I've said this quite often, right? As long The Roman government was in charge, but they let the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin was basically a court system. You can call it the Supreme Court, like we related to the Supreme Court, but it was a court system. And they ran basically the nation of Israel. Now, they had to answer to the Roman government. And the Roman government allowed them to rule on silver matters, so to speak. But something as far as putting someone to death, crucifying them, only the Roman government did that. So the Sanhedrin had to go to the Roman government to get their approval. So we see that they served under the authority of the Roman government. And the Roman government, as long as the nation of Israel paid their taxes and didn't rebel, they stayed out their way and just made sure that the Sanhedrin followed their rule and their law, basically, so to speak. So we see that, that the Roman government, this Roman empire, gave them the power to rule. So we can, we can see that they served under this wicked empire, the Roman empire, an empire of idolatry, one that is unrighteous. And we can see that this empire of, of idolatry and righteousness worked hand in hand with the Sanhedrin. You see, the Sanhedrin, all they wanted and all they was worried about was being in control. They wanted power. They love controlling others. And you see this, that in today's lesson, we're going to see that the Sanhedrin is very, very corrupt. They went through whatever means necessary to control and to keep their power. Sort of kind of reminds me, you know, I'd hate to say this, getting off topic, but sort of reminds me of what's going on in our government today. But that's a whole nother topic and a whole nother story, right? So what we're going to see in today's lesson is Jesus goes before the Sanhedrin and basically what they call a trial, right? But really it wasn't a trial because we know that it was all planned. It was all set up. So with that being said, open up your Bibles to Matthew 26. And we're going to begin in verse 57. And verse 57 says this, Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and he sat down with the guards to see the outcome. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they can put him to death. But they did not find any. Though many false witnesses came forward, finally two came forward and said, this fellow said that I am able to destroy the temple of God and built it in three days. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest again said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, you have said so. But I say to all of you, 
from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? What shall we do with him? He is worthy of death, they answered. Then they spit in his face and they struck him with their fist. Others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you? So let's go back to verse 57 and break this down and see exactly what's going on. Verse 57 states this, Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now, we see here that they take Jesus, after they arrest him in the Garden of Gethsemane, they take him to Caiaphas' house. However, before he goes to Caiaphas' house, they bring him to Annas' house. And Annas is a former high priest and the father-in-law of Caiaphas. So it was Annas, really, that sent Jesus to Caiaphas' home to be questioned. Now, how do I know this? Because the Gospel of John, verse chapter 18, verses 12 through 24, tells us the story about what happens when Jesus is arrested. So Jesus is arrested. They don't bring him straight to Caiaphas' house. They bring him to Annas' house, who's the former high priest and the father-in-law of Caiaphas, right? And we see that Annas, he questions Jesus. And not only do they question Jesus, but the servants of Annas, they beat Jesus before they bring him to Caiaphas' house. You see, because they so badly wanted to put Jesus to death, they didn't wait until the morning to have this so-called trial, right? They bring him in the middle of the night and they bring him to the house, the, the, the home of Caiaphas, the high priest. Now, if you go to Jerusalem today, Caiaphas' house is actually still there. Now, there's a church that's built on it or, or a structure that's built on top of the original house of Caiaphas. But you can, you can visit the, the dungeon, the cell, where Jesus was kept that night waiting to be transported to the Roman government to, to Pilate the next morning, right? So, so we can see here, right, that, that, that once again, the Bible is true, is what I'm saying. I mean, there's literally places that, that's actually still in existence today that the Bible talks about. How awesome is that, right? So, <clears throat> once again, if you take a trip to Jerusalem, you can visit this place, right? The, ha the house of Caiaphas. And look what else it says. Where the teachers of the law and the elders assemble. So, so when Jesus gets arrested and they send the troops out, they, the religious leaders and the Roman soldiers go to arrest Jesus. All the rest of the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they go straight to Caiaphas' house. Why? Because this is all planned, right? They want the trial to take place that night. They can't, they're not going to wait till the next morning. Why? Because they have their own agenda. You see, we will learn that they violated, the Sanhedrin did, they violated several violations according to their own law, according to their own protocol. 
What I mean is that they did things not for the purpose of justice, not to find out the truth, but they had a preconceived desire to put Jesus to death. They were corrupt. Verse 58, but Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. So we see here that Peter follows in a distance. And you might ask, why is he following in a distance? Because he's fearful. Now, just a few hours earlier, he told Jesus, when Jesus tells him, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be beaten, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be flogged, I'm going to be put to death, but you're all going to scatter. And Peter says, I will never leave you. Peter actually goes on to say, if I need to die for you, I will die for you, master. I will die for you, teacher. That's what he tells him. But here, he follows in a distance. So this tells us and it shows us here that Peter is afraid, that Peter is fearful. And look what else the scripture tells us. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. So once there, once he gets to, to Caiaphas' house, he, he doesn't go to defend Jesus. He doesn't go inside the house and, and, and take up for Jesus and defend Jesus. But look, look what he does. He enters and he sits down with the guards. So he sits down with the ones that actually arrested his rabbi, his teacher, his Lord, his Savior. See, he's trying to hide the fact here that he was a disciple. Now, why is he doing this? He's doing this, first off, because he wants to see the outcome. In other words, he wants to see what's going to happen to Jesus. But he's also fearful. Now, he should already know what's going to happen to Jesus. Because Jesus, over and over and over, several times, many times, Jesus tells him exactly what was going to happen to him. Because Jesus tells his disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem for Passover. And I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be flogged. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be put to death. But on the third day, the Father's going to raise me from the dead. But we see here that he goes to check it out because he wants to see. Because look at the rest of the text to see the outcome. So we, we can say that Peter still didn't believe Jesus, that he still doubted. See, he wanted to see for himself what would happen. So this shows us here and it tells us that he definitely lacked faith. You see, faith is believing, not seeing. Faith is knowing and trusting in Jesus and knowing that no matter what situation occurs in your life, that as long as you are close to Jesus and Jesus is close to you because Jesus wants to get close to you. Jesus wants to have an intimate relationship with you. And as long as you do that, then Jesus is going to fight your battles and the outcome is going to be for your good no matter what it is. But how many of us, we struggle with this, right? We struggle with that strong faith in Christ because when something negative comes against us or the world comes against us, it seems like our whole world is, is, is falling apart. It seems like we're like Paul in prison and Silas and the walls are closing in on us, right? But what did Paul and Silas do at that time? They didn't doubt. They didn't fear while they was in prison. They started praising and singing and worshiping the Lord. They trusted in God. And what was the outcome of that? It turned out for their good, right? The Lord uh, uh, let an earthquake happen and, and the cells opened up and their shackles broke off. And they were free. So, so we see here that 
that Peter here is definitely lacking faith. And it's a lesson for us to learn that we need not lack faith. As long as we close to God, as long as we have a relationship with His Son, Jesus, and we trust in Him, and we believe in Him, and our faith is strong, that Jesus will fight your battles. And the end result will be very, very positive for that believer. Because that's the Father that we serve. Think about this. You know, most of us are parents. And, and, and we take our kids, right? And we want what's best for our kids. We want what's best for our children. We all want what's good. If you're a good parent, that's what you want. Well, that's how the Father is to us because we are His child. See, if you accept Jesus as the Messiah and you believe that He died on the third day He rose, that the Father rose from, from, the, from the dead, Jesus now lives inside of you and you are now into the family of God. Jesus is the high priest. We are the priest. And as long as you're close to Him, the high priest will take care of the priest. The shepherd that, that Jesus is, that great shepherd, will take care and tend to his flock. Amen? Verse 59. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin, they were looking for false evidence. Some of your Bibles might say false testimony against Jesus. So they can put him to death. So let's look at this word, false testimony. False testimony is information that isn't true. Now, we need to make a distinction between this word here, false testimony, and a word that you're going to see in the next scripture, in the next verse, and that's false witness. You see, false witnesses are related to people. They're related to individuals. False testimony is something that is testified that isn't true or the facts are, 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 are wrong. They're given in, in, in the wrong, like wrong sense, so to speak. So we can say anyone can give false testimony or evidence. I mean, anyone can lie. Anyone cannot get the, the facts straight. In other words, they can be mistaken. But here, we find that they are seeking false testimony, right? Now, there's a huge difference between false testimony and false witnesses. You say, well, what is a false witness? A false witness doesn't mean that they're necessarily a liar. You might say, well, what are you talking about? You see, according to the Sanhedrin, according to their Jewish law, their man-made laws and rules, a false witness is someone who is not allowed to testify in court. In other words, they weren't allowed to testify before the Sanhedrin. And there's three reasons why. The first reason was this. Women could not testify in court. And you might ask why. Because they felt that a female could be pressured into saying something that wasn't correct. The second one is that Gentiles weren't allowed to testify in front of the Sanhedrin because they weren't Jew. And the third reason is that Jewish men who were not Torah observant, in other words, they wasn't truly committed to the Torah. They didn't live out the rules of the Torah. They weren't allowed to testify, right? But currently right here, we're talking about false evidence or false testimony. So what's happening here is this. <clears throat> they want people to lie about Jesus. 
who are Torah observant. But look, look what the scripture tells us, right? See, it, it, we can say this about this Sanhedrin. They weren't interested in the truth. They weren't interested in justice. They didn't want to find the reality of all that was said and all that he was teaching. They turned the blind eye to that. The only objective they wanted to do is that they wanted to put him to death. They wanted him crucified by the Roman government. So we see here again that it wasn't the Jewish people in general that wanted Jesus dead. It was the political and spiritual leaders of the nation of Israel. So what's happening here is this. They wanted people, kosher individuals, people that, that were Torah observant, men who are Torah observant, to lie, to speak against Jesus. They wanted him to lie. But look what happens in verse 60. Verse 60 says this, but they did not find any. Now that's interesting because remember, when is all this taking place? It's taking place at the Feast of Passover. Now, there were three main festivals, according to Jewish tradition, that Jewish men had to attend. If you were a Jewish man and you were 20 years age on up, you, had, you must attend these three festivals. And one of them is taking place right here. It's the Passover. And understand this, at the Passover, they had hundreds of thousands of, of people, of men that was there, that was present. And out of all these men, they could not find one that was Torah observant that would speak or lie against Jesus. So what, we can, what can we make from this, you might say, you might ask? that the majority of the Jewish people were true to the word of God because none of them would testify against Jesus. But look what else the scripture tells us, continuing on in that verse. Though many witnesses, false witnesses, many false witnesses came forward. Now remember what we just talked about, false witnesses. False witnesses were not allowed to testify in front of the Sanhedrin. Remember, if you, was, if you was a woman, you couldn't testify. If you was a Gentile, you couldn't testify. And Jewish men who were not Torah observant couldn't testify. But because they couldn't find a Jewish man that was Torah observant to lie for him, to come against Jesus, now what they do is they, they break their own rule, they break their own law, and they go and they try to find false witnesses. In other words, they're going to Gentiles. They're going to women. They're going to men who is not Torah observant according to their rule. In other words, who's not committed to the Torah 100%. They go to these people and they try to get them to lie for Jesus, but they couldn't because the scripture tells us that. Though many false witnesses came forward, they couldn't find none. However, look what the scripture says. Finally, at the very end, two comes forward. So it wasn't until the very, very end they were running out of people to find that would testify against Jesus. Now remember, these were false witnesses. They had no business even being in front of the Sanhedrin because that was according to Jewish law that they, that they made. 
So they break in their own rules and laws to fit their narrative. But that's how the religious leaders were. It kind of reminds me a lot like today in our government was going on. See, they changed things around to fit their own narrative. And in this case right here, what was it? Their narrative was to put Jesus to death. Their narrative was to crucify Jesus. Verse 61 says this. And they declared, this fellow. Now these false witnesses, that's what it's talking about. These false witnesses said, this fellow said, talking about Jesus, the fellow. I am able to destroy the temple of God and built it in three days. So we see that these false witnesses testified that Jesus said that he's going to destroy the temple. And in three days, he's going to build another one. You see, Jesus actually said this. They weren't lying. Although there was false witnesses, there's a difference. False evidence and false witness. False evidence means you're lying. False witness means they, don't, they shouldn't be allowed to testify in front of the Sanhedrin, in front of the court. But they speak the truth right here. Because Jesus did say that. But Jesus, when he said that, wasn't talking about the building of the temple. In other words, the stones and the bricks and the mortar. That's not what Jesus was talking about here, but they didn't understand that. Jesus right here is talking about himself. You see, Jesus is talking about that when he dies, he will be raised on the third day. See, Jesus is saying here, because the Father raised me, if you have a relationship with me, if you believe that I am the Messiah, that now I live in you because Jesus is the temple that lives inside of each and every believer. Amen? See, Jesus was referring to his resurrection on the third day. That's what Jesus is talking about here because look what he says, I'm going to build it in three days. Now, we're speaking of something new. We're not speaking of rebuilding, but establishing the sanctuary. In other words, how one worships our living God. And Jesus was saying that when he dies and when he's going to be resurrected on the third day, that each person can now have direct access to God through him. Because now he is in, lives in you, and now he is your temple. This is what the new covenant is all about, folks. Amen? Yes, Jesus spoke this. But they didn't understand what Jesus meant by what he said. Now, in reality, this statement that Jesus said should not have anyone arrested, much less put to death, right? I mean, when someone says that, Jesus said that, they might have thought he was crazy. Although if Jesus wanted to do that on the building itself, I'm talking about bricks and mortar and stone, he could do it because he's God, right? But we see here, that's not what he meant. He was talking about his death, burial, and resurrection, that you can have direct access to God the Father through him, right? So we see here, these two people should not have testified because they're false witnesses. And that went against the Jewish law and the Jewish culture. But they allowed these people to testify because they had only one thing in mind. They wanted to make Jesus look bad that he committed a crime so that they can put him to death. But we know that he didn't commit no crime. Jesus did, and Jesus went along with all this. Why? So the scriptures can be fulfilled. That's why. Verse 62. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? Now, 
What's important here to understand that in Jewish law, in Jewish custom tradition, the one on trial, the defendant, in other words, he didn't have to speak. He can just remain quiet the whole time. But in order to manipulate the situation, the high priest stands up here and he begins to speak to Jesus. He begins to ask Jesus questions because he wants Jesus to speak so he can take what Jesus said and turn around and twist it and use it against him. Look what he says. What is the testimony that these men are bringing against you? So we see here that he wants Jesus to answer because he's trying to entrap Jesus with his own words. Verse 63. But Jesus remained silent. So we see that Jesus didn't say a word. The rest of the scripture says this, that the high priest said to him, I charge you on the oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. So we see here that he wants a response from Jesus. But we also see here when he says, are you the Messiah, the son of the living God, right? It tells us something. It tells us that in Judaism, 2,000 years ago, that they spoke about God and his son. Now, Judaism today they, they deny this. They don't recognize this. They try, they try to hide it. But we see here in Scripture, that's not the case. They ask him, are you the Messiah? Are you the son of the living God, right? So they spoke about it some 2,000 years ago. Verse 64, look what Jesus says. You have said so. So Jesus doesn't deny it. The rest of the scripture tells us this. But I say to all of you, this is Jesus speaking. Now Jesus is going to speak. From now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One, coming on the clouds of heaven. So now we have a statement of Jesus' divinity and His humanity. And we know this about the divinity. The divinity of Jesus leads us to the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And if you deny the Trinity, then you are not a believer. You're not a believer if you deny the Trinity. And that's what this is leading to. And look what he says, coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, Jesus is quoting Old Testament scripture here. And Jesus is quoting from the book of Daniel in chapter 7, verse 13. Daniel 7, 13 says this. In my vision at night, I looked. And therefore, before me was one like a son of man coming in the clouds of heaven. And he approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. This means the son, Jesus, is going to inherit from God the Father, the ancient of days. That's what the ancient of days is, God the Father. The son will inherit all the glory, all the power, and all the worship. So Jesus is saying here that you can worship me because God the Father has given me all authority. Jesus is saying that I'm one with 
the Father. Again, speaking of his divinity and speaking about the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Verse 65, then the high priest tore his clothes and said, he has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard the blasphemy. So the minute that Jesus speaks the truth, they don't want to hear it. He turns the situation around on Jesus and they say that Jesus speaks blasphemy. Now you see, according to Jewish law, if a person was found guilty of blasphemy, that person was automatically put to death. And that's the main objective of this trial is to put Jesus to death, to have him crucified. What do you think? Is he worthy of death? He, he asked. So you see here that they want to sentence him to death. Now this is a rush to judgment. It's a rush to judgment in order to accomplish their evil plot that comes against Jesus. You see, they didn't want an indictment. They want an indictment of de the death penalty before they go to the Roman government. And you might ask, why is that? Because they knew based on the evidence that they had, if they went to the Roman government with what they had without having a death penalty sentence put on him, that, that the Roman government would have released him. Actually, in fact, and we're going to study this in the next chapter, Pilate actually tells the Jewish leaders. Why do you want to put him to death? I, I see nothing that he did wrong. Pilate says that. Pilate says this man, Jesus, is innocent. So we see that the Sanhedrin wanted Jesus' death to be a discouragement to all of his followers. Meaning this, that if you follow him, if you follow his teachings, if you do what he's saying to do, then you're going to be put to death as well. You see, it was only the Roman government that can crucify people. And the Sanhedrin, this is what they wanted. They wanted Jesus to be crucified. This is the reason they went to the Roman government. Verse 67. Then they spit in his face and they struck him with their fists. Another slapped him. So we see here that they're beating on Jesus. They're humiliating Jesus, spitting in his face. Verse 68. And they said, prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you? Now all of this speaks about how they mock Jesus. The son of the living God. The one who came to express love, to express the forgiveness of God, to express the grace of God. And you might ask, well, why did they do this? Because it is an acknowledgement of their lack of prophetic truth. You see, prophecy positions us to understand the work of God. And what prophecy should do, that it should bring us closer to God. And when we are closer to God, our faith gets stronger. You might ask, why? Because you are going to be prepared knowing that Jesus, knowing that God the Father is working for you and through you. See, we need to be people that strive for prophetic truth. Why, you say? So our faith will be stronger in the Lord. Amen?
And that ends our lesson for today. We'll be back next week finishing up chapter 26 in the book of Matthew. We appreciate all you tuning in. Go bless someone this week. God bless.